So a little uh, more reflection on the, the teaching of uh, Anatta. <clears throat> Uh, and uh, I want to go down a certain uh, path tonight, just really looking at um, what it takes to, to see it. And um, in order to see the, the truth of anatta for ourselves, we have to be, uh, we have to be able to uh, manage uh, the capacity to look at and to, to see very directly our own karmic patterns with a high degree of objectivity, with a high degree of non-attachment. And fortunately, we're all engaged in the, the very practice that makes that possible. So the practice of the, the four foundations of mindfulness, particularly the third foundation and the fourth foundation of mindfulness, through this, we're getting acquainted very uh, directly with our individual patterns. And uh, over the years, what happens is that we, we become uh, adept by, just by doing this practice at um, just the simple fact of moods and mind states and what comes into the mind. Just holding it in this way where uh, that's what's happening and we see what's happening and we're standing back from it enough such that we're not caught in it, we're not uh, identified with it and uh, we're not always at the mercy of it. You know, for, for a long time as practitioners we, uh, we suffer a lot from that habit of just being at the mercy of it. Often, you know, it just feels like you don't have any options except to get lost in, in moods and mind states that arise. So, so this kind of non-attachment, just being able to cultivate this decidedly different vantage point in relationship to something as intimate and personal, <laughs> seemingly so, as our own moods and mind state, it, it, this is, is huge. And, and uh, what it makes possible over the years of practice is uh, certainly it, it helps us to um, just, just by standing outside of things just a little bit to feel the pain of being attached to feel the consequences of, of attachment you know you're, you're getting that even if you know I was talking to somebody today even if you don't feel like you're getting it uh, getting a good clean hit even if lots of times you feel like you're only sort of vaguely getting that, really trust the process of practice that over the years, um, e- even if you're kind of look, half looking at it, you know, th- it's going in. Uh, one is getting a sense of what it's like to be at the mercy of moods and mind states. But I think more importantly is that um, over time it, it makes it possible to stand back enough such that one is able to see the um, suffering, uh, impermanent suffering and selfless nature of, of these moods and mind states and about everything that arises uh, in the body and mind. Uh, and uh, it, so it does. we do that, but it, it also, um, through, through this kind of observing, one begins to see very directly that um, the moods and mind states themselves that come up, especially when we're talking about the unskillful and difficult ones, uh, all of our, our difficult karmic patterns are actually defending against anicca, dukkha, and nata. That's why they're happening. <laughs> it's like, you know, we don't want it to be that way. You know, it, it, uncertain, impermanent, not subject to our control. So what do, what do we do? We want something. We get caught up in ill will, we get caught in restlessness and agitation and sloth. I mean, this is, this is where states uh, are born out of the delusion of the mind 
the, the delusion, the uh, um, inability to uh, see uh, the way that things actually are. I mean, at, at a very precise level, this is what the Buddha is pointing to. And so that last part is deep stuff. I mean, you know, we want to realize that. Um, and it, it's only made possible, that kind of seeing is only made possible through profound non-attachment and uh, non-identification. So, I mean, just, just looking at that much, we can see that there's layers to our practice, isn't there? You know, you've you got to peel through one layer, then you come to another layer, then you come to another layer. Uh, and um, our work as practitioners is to work through those layers and, and do our level best all along the way to get uh, more and more objective and impersonal about what we're observing, about what we're seeing. And so the, the first layer is critical and, and um, you can go in and out of seeing this very clearly uh, for many years in practice, I think, uh, because the, the various things that we're seeing, the karmic patterns, have varying degrees of intensity. It's a, some, are, some are easy to get outside of, some are not so easy to get outside of, right? You've probably seen this. Uh, and so the, the first layer is just to know that we're in a mind state. You know, and you might say, well, duh, you know, but, but we don't know it. <laughs> you're in it, you know, you, you can't be in it and know that you're in it at the same time. So when the identification and the attachment is strong, uh, that's where, that's, you know, mind states are us, you know, <laughs> this is who we are. And, and so um, in, in the unawakened state, we're just not aware in this way. Uh, and certainly not aware of patterns as such. This is a mind state. This is a mood I've, I've latched onto, right? It's, it's, uh, it takes a while, uh, maybe a number of years in practice, to get, to get that perspective, to get that kind of perspective. And so what happens is they just come and go, and we're just blindly caught in them uh, most of the time, or uh, we're pushing one away and, or grabbing hold of another one. You know, and this image of, the, of a monkey kind of swinging through the vines in the jungle and going from one vine to in the next, from one tree to the next. It's a very apt image <laughs> for the, the condition uh, of being an unawake, ordinary human being. And so we, we, we just kind of live in a very compulsive mode, uh, picking one thing up, dropping it only to grab another you know, and just being on automatic pilot, not having a whole lot of say about all of this. But, you know, as practitioners, we're starting to get some objectivity and stand back and be able to see our patterns. And, and, and gradually, you know, we're, get, we're getting caught up in them less, certainly, and um, increasingly we're aware of them. And this is good news. We want to be able to notice that, uh, especially as we practice here uh, at the Forest Refuge in this formal way. So as I've noticed, noted earlier in earlier reflections, I, I think this is you know just coming from my own practice. Um, what I've seen as one of the, the, the biggest players in this plowing through this uh, these uh, first layer really is learning um, how to hold that moment when you awaken. Uh, when you snap out of whatever it is that you've picked up, <laughs> you know that that moment is is pivotal. You know, it, it, it all turns on what, how that moment is held. And I know I emphasize this a lot, but I think it's very, very important. At least, at least it has been for me. And so um, in those moments when, 
we recover, if you will, or we sort of come to. Um, what's going on there is that f- for a few seconds, you know, you can see where you've been, right? You know where you've been. And, 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 and it may not even be a kind of a uh, convoluted thought process. It's more at a very feeling tone. It's kind of like a, fe- a felt sense. We know where we've been. And that moment is where we're, we can feel the pain of self-absorption. <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually very visceral um, if, if we can hold it and we know how to hold that moment well. So, so this is very important. And, and two, I, I think it has to be said that right there you're also getting very clear glimpses of what it's like to be awake. <laughs> you know, it, it may only be a flash in the pan. You know, it's moving pretty quickly, isn't it? But for a second, maybe two, uh, you know, before the mind starts scrambling for something else, um, we're, we've relieved the grip and we're here. And those moments can be um, quite lucid, actually. They can be very clear. Um, and, and, and perhaps for a few seconds we just actually hear and sort of awake and impartial. It's like, huh. You know. But what, very quickly what um, happens is we get pulled back into delusion. We either get pulled right back into the state we just left. Right? Have you seen this? <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, go on about the fact that we just did that you know, get into a bunch of self-denigrating thought and beating up on ourselves a little bit. Or perhaps we just um, let it go and, and go pick, pick up something else, you know. Uh, and this is pretty much standard operating procedure. So, so look and see. Just um, after that um, first moment, um, the, the unawakened mind tends to deflect the attention away from what just happened. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, like it, it, it's not a conscious thing. It, it, it's more proceeding from the delusion of the mind. It doesn't want to stay there. It doesn't want to take it in. It's actually proceeding from a lack of insight into dukkha. You know, it, it's painful, so we don't want to go there. You know? And so it, it, it doesn't take the moods and mind states in fully as it, as it can, and it will, you know, eventually. You know, it, so it's not taking in the way we are, it's not taking in the way that we behave. And, and you know, I, I try to hold that compassionately because one can understand when you contemplate the process that's uh, going on here. Uh, you can understand that um, to be caught up in unskillful or deluded patterns of mind is painful. I, and so I can get it, you know, the mind doesn't want to stay there. <laughs> it doesn't want to feel that uh, directly. It's, it's often too much. And so it, it doesn't understand yet that that's where it needs to go, you know. And so it, it tends to uh, turn, deflect the attention away from that moment uh, or and get it caught up in self-denigrating thinking, which is amazing because it's, it's actually, that kind of beating up on ourselves is often presented as some kind of remedy, you know. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense at all. But that's what the mind will do with that moment. You know, oh, you stupid thing. You can slap yourself around a little bit, you know. And this is really tricky to watch because sometimes it, even the scrambling to get back to the breath it can be proceeding from this habit of deflecting the attention from where we need to be. You know, have you seen this? I mean, this is a, this is a tricky habit to break 
for most meditators anyway, but partly because of the way we teach the meditation, but partly because um, we think for a long time in practice, we think it's about being with the breath, you know. And, and so it's like, oh, where was I, where was I? Okay, <sighs> got to get back to the breath, you know. <laughs> and and uh, you scramble back there, not seeing that there's actually uh, what's going on there is a, um, you're going in the wrong direction. You need, we need to stay with uh, what's happening. So this is, uh, this is very subtle stuff, but it has to be seen and it has to be uh, addressed in practice so that we can get to the direct experience. You know, the direct experience is where, where all the action is and, uh, and that involves opening to uh, the way that we actually are to what's actually happening, you know. And to me, to me, this is the lion's share of practice. You know, for a long time, I don't know about you, but I, I thought practice was about cleaning up my act, you know. I got, I got to get, get, replace these mind states with other mind states that are more attractive, you know, and, and more skillful. And, and I mean, to be fair, it kind of is that. But um, it, it's really, the strategies are different, you know, than, than we're used to. It, it's not so much about cleaning up our act, it's more about turning to and opening to the act you have, you know, what is your act, <laughs> what's proceeding from you, you know, and, and, and open the heart to the way that we are, to our karmic patterns, and critically, without judgment, without criticism, with the utmost kindness in the heart, without any, having to say anything about it, but just to, it, and, but getting there is hard, isn't it? I mean, every, everything um, in our habitual patterns, our habitual ways of relating, seems to be, there seems to be a bias in the mind against going there. <laughs> you know, you, and you, you basically got to take that on. So, um, in, in a way, what, what's going on is that if we can get to the direct experience, we see very directly what serves us and what doesn't. And that's, that's what the Buddha is pointing to. He keeps pointing to direct experience, or direct knowledge, which proceeds from direct experience. It's, it's the, the, the really, in a way, the same thing. So, I mean, we all know in our heads um, not to be certain ways. <laughs> you know, we know that intellectually. We could, we could probably um, go around the room and everybody would know the ways that they are, that it would be better not to be that way. <laughs> You know, but um, knowing it in that way is not what the Buddha is pointing to. You know, he, he's pointing to knowing it from within it. For what's, what's it like to be that way? <laughs> How's that feel? And, and trusting in a way that <clears throat> he's right, that that's the, that's the uh, method. If you can get to the direct experience, then... Um, it's, 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 it's almost like this, this heart is not stupid. <laughs> It'll get it. You know, that, that's, that's a yucky way to be. I won't be that way. But it's got to feel it. Uh, and, and so um, this, I think, is really a lot of it is the lion's share of practice. Just getting to that direct experience and, <clears throat> and learning how to dodge, if you will, all the, the habits of deflecting the attention away from that. You know, sometimes it's, it's like you're playing dodgeball <laughs> with the, <laughs> the ways of relating that don't serve us. So what I wanted to do tonight is just offer some um, practice stories. I like, to, I like to look at real practice stories, real things that people are working with and how um, 
they, uh, how we wake up, how we're seeing uh, these things for ourselves. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, and, and really to, I'll use the, the five hindrances as a guide just to, to look at some of these ways. And, and to see how we're looking at those in such a way that we learn about the patterns, we learn about attachment, and we learn about the consequences of being caught up in these patterns. You know, uh, obviously, if states are, are difficult, then um, we may want to facilitate some change through practice. And the Buddha says we do. We do change. We can and we do change. But um, <clears throat> this happens, as I said, primarily from um, changing our relationship with what we see <laughs> and, and seeing what we see and changing our relationship with it. And, and over time, what happens is we stop grabbing, we stop indulging, we stop fighting and resisting. And this tendency to relate to what are really mental events, you know, uh, begins to, um, with, to relate to them with uh, attachment and, or resistance in one form or another. Um, it, it just weakens, doesn't it? I mean, don't you find for the years of practice, all the hours and hours you've put in on the cushion and looking at your mind in daily life, you know, don't you find you're better? <laughs> and that, that, that habit of being caught is weakening. Those are very important moments to notice, by the way. So here's a little story about greed. Um, this is obviously the mind that uh, keeps wanting, wanting things that it doesn't have. So I was talking with someone a while back who really struggles with fantasy. And I could really relate because I can fantasize with the best of them, you know. <laughs> and you spend many, many hours of our lives thinking about what might be, you know, what we could have. And um, so she reported that she realized that she was, um, she gets in these states where she's irritated with her life. She's finding fault with things, uh, what's going on in the present. And so um, she imagines a better world. And she just starts dreaming and she moves into that world. And usually these better worlds um, uh, involve getting away from certain people <laughs> in her life, you know, getting away from certain conditions that she has to endure, uh, or just imagining something better, you know, that if I only had kind of stuff. And, and mind you, this is all being done in the interest of finding happiness. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a... Uh, a, a, a totally um, unkind effort, you know. The mind is just, we're just trying to get uh, to a state of happiness. So, but as she practiced with it over the years, this is somebody I've worked with for many years, and uh, she began to see how um, frequently she was lost in this kind of thinking. And um, she'd get outside of the content of it uh, enough just to, to know and see um, that she was lost in this kind of behavior. And uh, really, um, shockingly, that it was a lot of the time, you know. Sometimes when you pick up, you, you, you uh, selectively attend to certain patterns or certain teachings, you, you really can shine a spotlight. And in this case, um, it was one of those rude awakening kinds of spotlights, you know. Wow, you know, I'm fantasizing a lot of the time. And just dreaming about things. And, and granted, this is, she's talking about specific fantasies about her life, but this is the same dynamic that goes on when you're sitting here thinking about getting a cup of tea 
or you know going and uh, going for a walk or taking a shower or something like that. That that movement of the mind. Granted, those are benign impulses, but um, it, it's that movement of the mind that the the that uh, the the wanting mind that we want to see. So she she would say that you know it was interesting to watch because maybe for a little while she was happy in the fantasy. You know, it's like. Uh, the the content of it was uh, was very pleasant, and her mind would feel very pleasant. And she, mm, oh, wouldn't that be so nice? You know, <laughs> that kind of feeling, just really feeling good about the prospects of some alternate present. You know, uh, some alternate condition. But this is what she what, when it really started to break up. She began to notice that inevitably, um, she would emerge from that dream world. And uh, in that moment, then she would realize how painful it had been to be lost in that way. <sighs> you know, when you're in it, it's delicious. But then, by contrast, if when you're out of it, now you got, if we can hold that moment with non-judgment again, non-criticism, just see what what's going on there she could feel, it's like the residue of having been lost in that way is still very much present, isn't it? For a few seconds when we, when we snap out of it. And, and she, she began to notice even physical symptoms um, as she um, saw that moment, that, that there was kind of like a, a cramping in her gut or just a feeling of nausea even. Ugh. <laughs> No, I did it again. That awful, painful feeling. And, and two, um, she began to that, uh, notice that um, not, uh, that, and this was an interesting realization, that not only were her fantasies being born out of a certain discontent that she was creating, but in the long term, because she would get lost in these a lot, they were actually feeding the discontent. You know, and, and we, because this other world was so attractive, so by contrast, you know, it's like it's like when you think about winning a car or something, and then you go out and see your twenty-year-old car that's been totally faithful to you, you know, and you and you're disappointed, you know, you wish you had the other one. It, it's that kind of thing. So um, she was calling this her, you know, this was a two-way street. There was it was she was creating discontent, but um, also feeding that discontent. So when we're, when we're lost in fantasy or, or just wanting things that we don't have, uh, we can't see that we're, we're actually becoming more entrenched in delusion in those moments. And, and moving further away, this is the, the paradox or the irony of it, you're actually moving further away from the happiness that the fantasy is designed to take you to, you know? You, I mean, talk about delusion. It gets very thick, doesn't it? You know, uh, and and so and this is very important to see. And uh, it, and also, it, it may not be immediately apparent because the content of the fantasies is often so pleasant. You know, we're just uh, lost in that that happy feeling a bit, and it, and it can also seem so real. I don't know about you, but I've I've snapped out of fantasies sometimes and. Maybe I'm sitting on the cushion in the hall and then I open up my eyes and I go, holy cow, <laughs> that was so real. You know, where was I? 
That was so, it has a vitality to it. I mean, it can get your body, it can get energy going in the body. It can, um, you know, have great effects on the body. Racing of a heart or things like this, you know. So um, we're enjoying ourselves in the fantasies and in the um, desires. And, and, and for the moment, one actually feels that there, there's a better world. <laughs> There's a better world that we have. And maybe there is. I mean, I don't, I'm not arguing with that point. But I think that what the, what the Buddha is pointing to is right here, right now, you're dreaming. And so you're, you're, in, you're in a deluded state. And that is, by definition, a, a state of suffering. That, that's all he's pointing to, is to be, be able to see this for ourselves. So for this gal, I mean, seeing through this first layer was very important for her until she, she saw that she was doing. She, she really believed that um, there was a, a better life out there, you know, better than the one that she had, and, um, and that that would be the remedy for her discontent and her, um, the, uh, just the conditions of her current life. So what, what we can't see when we're, uh, we're lost in this kind of wanting or, or fantasizing is that, um, and this is, this is uh, amazing to see, is that really we just made the whole thing up. We, we just created this whole thing in our minds and um, defined our lives such that we, we lack a certain happiness. And, and it's, it's fascinating to see. I mean, look and see. Um, you know, they, they, it's kind of proceeding from these thoughts like if I only had, if I only had this thing or the other thing, if I only had uh, a different partner, you know, if I only had a different house or car, if I only had uh, a different state of mind, you know, if I, if I only had more joy in my life, then everything would be all right. It's amazing, you know. That's, that's what the mind is setting up. And then what it does at that point, once, it, once it's taken that bait then sets about how to get it. <laughs> and so, I mean, you, you, it's, it's, it's actually very funny. <laughs> I mean, you, we expend this tremendous amount of energy uh, in, in this endeavor, and all, all the while not seeing that we created the feeling of lack, and then that being a problem, went about very complicated and sophisticated stories about how to fill that lack. I mean, it's all... It's all up here in these surface layers of the mind, isn't it? It's not, it, it, it has no basic reality. It, it's just a, a constructed reality. And yet, uh, that, that's where we're living a lot of the time, I'm sad to say. You know? <laughs> and, and so what's happening here is that the, the sense of self creates the problem. And then uh, it moves to um, eradicate it. I mean, I think the Buddha is just brilliant on this account, to be able to see this, have seen this, and to, to point us in the direction of seeing it ourselves. You know, it's such a, it's, it, it, it is, I mean, talk about delusion. You know, it really is a, a deluded way to be. So that's our job, is to see that. So now with hatred. Here's a story about hatred or ill will towards people in our lives. So I, w- I was talking with somebody who noticed that he was um, 
expending a, a, a tremendous amount of energy, you know, mental energy, being irritated by somebody in his life. I can sure relate to that, can't you? <laughs> you can go on for 20 years being irritated by the same person in our lives, you know. And per- perhaps we might feel wronged or uh, put upon in, in one way or another. And, and perhaps we are. I mean, uh, we take jabs in our lives. You know, people uh, jab us in one way or another. And the mind kind of fixates on that. But uh, what happens is that if you take a jab or something is difficult, you have a difficult exchange with somebody, then um, most of us, maybe I should just speak for myself, I mean, but I've seen it to be pretty true across the board. You know, most of us aren't, aren't too quick on our feet. You know, some, but something comes at us and, um, it, you know, the, it, you may not be able to uh, identify that you just took a jab <laughs> or address it in any way and um, uh, as it's happening just right there in the moment when it's actually happening you know and so instead what happens is the mind will uh, quickly uh, get caught up in, in battling with that offensive behavior or the offensive person and and that's what this fellow was caught in he, he began to see that and understand it and, and this can be further complicated by the fact that often the exact nature of what it is that's irritating us, we don't even know. You know, you can't even see it. There's, there's constellations, aren't there? There's a lot of little stuff going on. You know, I don't like it and I can't get to it. I, can't, I don't even know what it, what, what it is about them or what it is about what they did. Um, and that can really complicate it so that uh, you have this experience of spending days or, or, or weeks just um, trying to get clear on what's bothering us and, and in the meantime what's happening is that you know, one is expending a tremendous amount of energy obsessing. You know, have you ever done this? <laughs> you just go <laughs> on and on and on about that uh, moment. And the stories can get quite sophisticated and, and quite complex. So when the mind goes on and on like this, it, it's not actually making direct contact. Can you feel that? It's, it's dancing around it. It's doing everything that it can to avoid the direct contact. Uh, in, in the same way as I was just talking about. Um, it, it, it's kind of going into fight mode and resistance. That's ill will. That's the energy of ill will. Get me out of here. <laughs> Get me away from this. And much of obsessive thinking is just that. It's actually a reverberation of, it's like a remembering what happened and a, re- and a re-arising of the pain associated with that. And so the mind is over and over and over and over and over and over again trying to get rid of that pain, <laughs> trying to get, uh, get away from that. So we don't like behaviors that are coming at us and, and the mind is trying to deal with that pain. Even it, whether it's real or imagined, it doesn't even matter. That's what's going on here. So with this fellow, it had, it had taken uh, many months, in fact, I think it was well into a year, uh, to sort of untangle this and to begin to see what he was doing. And he would whine about, you know, I've been looking at this for a year. You know, I said, a year is good, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Some people are looking at this stuff for 20, 30, 40 years, you know. It's, it's okay, you know, a year is good. Uh, I, I've certainly seen that in myself. 
So uh, throughout the, the, the thing that's going on here is throughout the course of any given day, you're going to take a lot of jabs. Some of them are very minor, some of them are stronger. That, that's the, the way it is. And to see this and to recognize it is actually one of the main inroads into insight into dukkha. <laughs> you know, we want to see it. This is, this, is the way, this is the way it is for human beings. You know, there's dukkha. <laughs> and it's coming at us in, uh, in many different forms, in many different angles throughout the, the course of, of, of any given day. And, and so to, to, to feel offended by it or to feel that something needs to be done about it and, and um, just, it's just a, kind of like the inroad to obsessive thinking and to self-view. You know, um, and right there is the dividing line you know, where, where the action is, where that sense of self is getting formed and where obsessive thinking is beginning. So, so um, the idea here then is to stop hating Stop turning to what's coming at us from the world with ill will, and um, and just get to the harm of that itself. Just you know, lose the reactive pattern to uh, a condition that is 100% unavoidable as a human being. There is going to be this. You're going to get jabbed. You know, <laughs> the question is is like how often, where it's going to come from, and how hard it's going to hurt, you know. That's, that's, the que- that's all there is to it. You know, the, the jabs are going to be there. And, and so um, if we can just get to the harm itself, to get to the dukkha of it all, then uh, we'll, uh, we can acknowledge it, acknowledge that we just got jabbed. Okay, if you can feel that, this is, this is critical. It's woo. <laughs> It's not personal, it's not them, it's not me, it's not it. It's just, I just, that's, that's what just happened, right? So I'm here, I'm in the direct experience, this is what happened. And then, you know, you've got, then you've got options, because it can, depending on the level of insight and the amount of calm in that moment, you, know, you can actually just know it as another normal moment in samsara, you know? It's, and and uh, for myself, I mean, this has been a very liberating part of practice. Is just to, to, not, to stop getting my feathers ruffled so much, you know, over um, ordinary. I mean, so much of what's coming at us that, that we don't like or that bothers us is is it's not like people aren't consciously trying to hurt us. People aren't intentionally doing that, but because of our uh, the way that we are and the way that other people are and these things meet and clash, you know, you get, you get these rubs <laughs> many times throughout a day, even here on retreat, right? You know, you don't even talk to each other, you don't even know who each other are and, and we rub up against each other. So you, you can either see it as this is, this is normal, this is an imperfect moment, it's the way it is in samsara and let it go, or, you know, one can determine um, if it needs to be addressed and how to do that. But um, at, at the very least, you know, even if the obsessing uh, continues, we'll know that, we'll know what's going on with all of that, that the, um, the mind is just remembering that pain and trying to deal with it, remembering that pain and trying to deal with it. And also, remember, that can be a cue to, okay, if you're obsessing, Turn around. We're not. You're not getting a good hit of what happened. 
We need to go there. That's the place where the action actually is. So, uh, sloth. Sloth's an interesting one, isn't it? I call it my I I don't wanna voice. You know, I don't wanna. It's, It's got that kind of energy to it. And so one of the best places to see the slothful mind I think, well, there's many, many opportunities throughout the day, but uh, one of the best places is that, that, that first thing in the morning. And so here you are, you, 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 you wake up, and if you've ever engaged in an, in an internal battle about whether to get up or not to get up, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this, is, this is where there's a lot of action right there and a lot of opportunity for, for insight. Um, you know, it, it, what we have going on often first thing in the morning is kind of like a, a clash of uh, conflicting intentions. You know, it, it, we have these wonderful intentions to, I'm going to get, I'm going to spring right up out of bed, I'm going to have all kinds of energy and enthusiasm, I'm going to, you know, get over to the meditation hall and practice it for a couple of hours before breakfast, you know. That's what I'm going to do. You know, <laughs> and a lot of excitement. Uh, that's my intention. That's what I want to do. Uh, and and then on the other hand, you've got this warm, cozy bed. <laughs> you know, and the, and how, and the uh, pleasure of all of that, and the wish to to stay there. So the the, the battlefield uh, dialogue or, or the debate um, that goes on in those moments can feel very rational. I mean, you know, just look and see uh, that what the mind is saying, what, what the mind is throwing up as to how to deal with or what to do with that moment. So maybe you might look at the clock. That's a big one. You know, look at the clock and decide the clock is going to tell me what to do because uh, uh, I'll decide by, by what time it is and by calculating how many hours I've slept if I should get up. And maybe if I didn't sleep enough yet, despite the fact that I might be wide awake, you know, then uh, the compassionate thing to do would be turn to, to roll over, you know, <laughs> go back to bed. <laughs> and, and, you know, we might, I mean, the truth is you might need more sleep. We, we want to know that, you know, we might have that feeling that we need more sleep and, and maybe we do. But often we notice, especially on retreat, that when you wake up, you know, you're often wide awake. <laughs> and then the, the inner Dhamma coach starts uh, issuing directives, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and telling us what to do, uh, giving all the good reasons why we, we should get right up and, and get going. You know, have you seen this? <laughs> it's very funny. It's very very fun practice, actually, if you if you just turn to it and, and work with it, you know. And, and uh, I, for for a while, when I was working with this myself, I would sit there and I'd go, "Well, who's going to win?" You know, <laughs> and just wait and see which voice wins and which one is the one that propels me uh, or turns me over, you know. And and, and that's because we're still we're stuck in the debate. You know, that attitude will come out of that. So, but if we're practicing with it skillfully, and, and hopefully we are, then we, we learn just to, um, you're going to learn a lot about attachment and a lot about the consequences of it. But when you can get to the direct experience, and this is where 
it really gets rich. Just like when you see this kind of debate going on in the mind, and the mind is desperately trying to figure out the right thing to do. But often it's just a ploy to stay in bed, you know, because the whole time that you're caught in the debate, you can still lay there and, and, and uh, stay warm and cozy, you know, and maybe miss the morning sit, you know. So but the, when we can get to the direct experience of it all, then, you know, it's amazing. You just settle down, take that deep breath, don't go, don't get caught in the debate, just get in the body, feel the body, know that one is awake, know that this battle is going on, but seeing it from a decidedly different vantage point, then watch what happens. You know, it's quite a, quite a different experience. You know, you either, you get up or, or, or you don't get up, but it's not because you followed the right answer. <laughs> it's not because you picked up on the right conclusion. It's really more, more likely, it's because you've dropped the whole dilemma the, the dilemma that the self-view throws up. It creates this sense of there's a right way to be, there's a right thing to do, and my job is to figure out what that is and to do it. But it's a false dilemma, and the, mind, the unawakened mind is throwing these up all the time. This is a, this is a really good, a good way to see it. You know, you want, you want to look and see. I mean, there's a lot of potential here for, for great uh, practice. You know, we, we just get out of the way. And uh, it's interesting to see how um, the living life happens. <laughs> you know, it's not because we've issued the right directives. So with restlessness and worry, um, this is coming, coming from a fellow I was talking to who just worries a lot about the future. He's always anticipating a gloomy future and then um, afraid that if he doesn't do this and if he doesn't do that, then uh, things are going to go wrong. Things are going to go terribly wrong or he won't be secure. He won't uh, um, establish a a kind of security in his life. And so um, he's a very nervous person. You know, he runs himself ragged with this kind of thinking and, and, and anxiety is uh, really a dominant feature of his temperament. So this, this I mean, you, ours may not be as severe as that, but look and see. I mean, this is a really good thing to contemplate. What, what goes on when the mind imagines a gloomy future uh, or things being out of control and um, things going, going terribly wrong or terribly awry and, what, and then we start to relate to that with worry and anxiety. Uh, what we don't see in that, very similar to the other things, is that we, we just created the gloomy future and now we're afraid of it. <laughs> it's, it's the weirdest thing, but it's going on a lot in the mind. It, we just made it up. We just imagined it and now we're scared and nervous because of that. It's all, you can, you can feel the attachment, can't you? You feel the fabrications uh, in the mind and feel the, how we move into them and how we relate based on some notion that what we just created has a reality outside of the fact that we're just thinking. <laughs> we're just imagining. 
So the thing is, and this is, this is Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta are really tied up with restlessness, certainly with all the hindrances, but, you know, the, 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 why the Buddha is pointing the, these three characteristics is, uh, is, is really relevant here. We don't have control. We never have, never will. <laughs> and, and no matter what we do, it's likely that we're going to suffer. You're going to take a jab. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're going to get jabbed. And, and uh, we don't know what is going to happen. We have, the, 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 everything is uncertain. We're very vulnerable. Uh, that's the way it is with the human realm. That's the way it is with uh, being a human being. And this is what we got born into. So, you know, you have this sense of, well, good luck trying to make that not be the way it is, you know, because that's plain and simply the way it is. And one needs to open to those realities. And we can see how not realizing Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta is, uh, lies at the heart of so much of our anxiety. So, uh, but it's interesting, because it, admittedly, and this is the conversation I had with this fellow, you know, it, it gets tricky you know, because one could say, well, if I do this and this and this, you know, then it would be more likely that things would come out okay. Yeah? <laughs> you know that one? And, and you, you, the thing, and this is where it's tricky, because that's true. That's true at one level, you know. It's, uh, but it's also not true. <laughs> and you can see the delusion uh, here. You know, in a way, we're playing the odds. Uh, when we expend a tremendous amount of energy securing the future. So, and one could say, well, I could store away my treasures and, uh, and I'll be better off. And that's true. You know, it's true on one level. Uh, I don't think anybody would deny that. But there is a Nietzsche, Dukkha, and Anatta. <laughs> it's like, oops. <laughs> So you don't know for sure, I and mean, you can't weasel out of it, you know, and the, this mind, this unawakened mind, who doesn't see the truth of this, of Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta, uh, is trying relentlessly to weasel out of that. And that, to me, I mean, that to me right there is the basis of so much anxiety, so much restlessness and, and worry. So, but it's an interesting thing, one, because it, it doesn't mean that we don't do things to secure the future. And this is where people can get stuck here, you know. Because, and the Buddha talks about this a lot, especially when he's talking to lay people. He, you know, you, you read some of these suttas on, the, on lay life, and he, he's saying things that sound remarkably like, you know, make sure you have a health insurance policy. You know, make sure that you've got a good job uh, so that you can take care of the people that you love and that you can contribute to the things that you value, like your monasteries and retreat centers. So he's, you know, that's all in the, that's all clearly in the suttas and in the, in the um, uh, in guidance for lay people. But uh, it's very clear that when he's talking like that, he's speaking at a conventional uh, level, uh, the level of conventional reality. And so, uh, you know, what we're doing uh, in, in this process of practicing and waking up is, is working with both of these, the, the conventional reality and the ultimate reality, and, and discerning where, how to live within, with a foot in each, each of these. And that's basically uh, what it's like for us. <clears throat> 
And so just one, one more doubt. The, 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 uh, and I'm looking at this particularly as a, the effect of um, self-denigrating thinking, confusion, things like this. So one of the gals whose uh, practice I've been guiding um, for some time now is a, is a, is a teacher. And um, she, uh, she worries a lot. She's just kind of a new teacher. And, and she worries a lot because um, she feels that she doesn't um, know enough. That kind of feeling. And, um, and she's afraid that she might misguide people. And, uh, you know, I mean, from where I sit, I hear a thought like that, and um, they're like, well, you know, I'd be more worried if you weren't afraid about <laughs> misguiding people. You know, that's, uh, you, you want to have that concern. You want to know that you're clear and um, look and make sure that your understanding of Dhamma is um, precise. And, and the, the key to me with that is talk about what you know. Don't talk about what you don't know, you know. And, and so we would talk about this. But there was more to it uh, for her. And uh, she went on to ask, um, how can I advise people when I can't stop the behaviors myself? Yeah? And you've probably felt that even if you aren't a teacher, just talking to, guiding children or talking with friends, it's the same kind of thing. But, you know, again, I, was, I, I laughed with her and, and I said that, you know, knowing what to do and being able to do it at all times, these are two different things, <laughs> you know, and you, you, really, you really want to be clear about that. Uh, it, it's not, uh, I, I don't think that's the expectation. And, and, uh, and I asked her, haven't you had the experience of garnering an insight and, uh, into, into certain patterns? And really being able to see in one moment just how it's happening and uh, how you keep being deluded by it and then not being able to do it in the next moment. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is, uh, this is something that the Buddha is pointing to actually in the Satipatthana Sutta where he points to what he calls, um, it's in the feeling section, unworldly, unpleasant feeling. And there's different interpretations of this, but what it's pointing to, uh, one of the key um, interpretations is, it's the pain that we feel on the heels of insight, because we, when we can't sustain that insight, or can't act upon it uh, right after having seen, right? And, and it's an important, I and mean, it's, it's interesting to me that it's pointing to in the Satipatthana, because basically what's that, what that's saying is, you need to feel that. <laughs> don't, get a, don't go away from it. You need to feel what that feels like, because right there, we're touching the depth of the, of the pain, of delusion. But without criticism, it's not an indictment, it's not, there's something wrong with you. It, it, it actually, when, when you touch those feelings, it can really arouse um, spiritual urgency. It can arouse interest. It can arouse investigation. Because one is going, wow, I just, phew, I thought I saw it. Now I don't, you know? And so what, what do I need to do? How do I need to practice in order to, to bring that up more fully? 
And so this is very important, but if we don't understand the process and understand the dynamic, then it's a huge setup for uh, skeptical doubt, you know, and the spinning in the mind of, of, of wanting to know things that we don't know fully yet, you know, wanting to make things certain that aren't certain, wanting to make things permanent that aren't permanent for us. And so uh, also I think that what's important to realize is that what's happening in those moments is that we're also seeing uh, the sheer uh, force of uh, the karmic patterns. And that we need to see as well. That's part of uh, understanding the truth of of karma. You know, that that these uh, patterns that we're entrenched in um, have a vitality. And you can be sitting there and you can be, you know, looking um, a hindrance right in the eye and n- not be able to offset it, can't you? Have you had that? Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like I, I know you, I've become you, you know, <laughs> just that quickly, that quickly. So, I mean, this, this all has to be seen and, and, and held uh, appropriately so that we don't get pulled down into doubt <clears throat> and confusion. You know, you've just got to see this kind of thinking, the, thing, the thinking that takes exception or wants to make this some huge problem and, and just put it under a microscope. It's, it's doubt, that's all. <laughs> it's you know, it's going to happen. And, and you, you can, we can dissect what's going on there. So what's happening in those moments is very much like we're describing with the other ones. We touch a place of not knowing, not being able to see clearly, uh, not understanding. And um, then the mind uh, resists that. It wants to know. And I don't know about you, but I mean, for me, it's, it, it took a long, it's taken a long time. And I, I mean, in some ways I'm not there yet, but just to, to say, that, that uh, to make peace with not knowing, <laughs> you know, if we, if we can do that, then uh, this hindrance of doubt, it, it doesn't have a leg to stand on, you know, it's, it's okay, we don't know. But, um, you know, what we can't see is that, it, this, and this is very interesting, that we, we actually can create a person who has a lot of problems, uh, and then we, we become that person, you know, confused and doubt and feel, and I can't do it, I'm not good enough, all that kind of stuff, gets, gets, a, uh, gets a lot of play in the unawakened mind. And um, it, it, the mind, it's, it's fascinating to contemplate because the mind is actually creating an identity around something that we don't want to be. <laughs> like, I am a person who is filled with doubt. Nobody wants to be that, you know? <laughs> and confused, but that's, that's what we do. We, we set it up and then we live in it. It's, it's amazing. Uh, but this is what we're doing. So we just need to be as relentless in our efforts to, to see what the mind is doing and what is happening as the mind is re- determined to uh, stay confused and, and really work with that. And I, I think it's very important to understand that these, these five hindrances, uh, I really saw them one time as the, the unawakened mind's best guess at what to do about anicca, dukkha, and anatta. 
Yeah, that's, that, that's, the, that's the best that this mind can come up with. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll hate it, you know. <laughs> I'll worry about it. I'll get confused. I'll smash and thrash it, you know. That's, that's what it's doing. So they're defense mechanisms. They're defenses against uh, anicca, dukkha, and anatta. Uh, and without this kind of open-hearted seeing of the patterns, particularly these, these hindrances, the karmic patterns that arise in us, we, we can't see how we're attaching to them and we can't see the consequences of doing that. And, and we can't see how the, the hindrances are actually the manifestation of self-view. It's re- they're really the, very much the same thing. And certainly for, as long as we're tangled in all that, we, we can't see the, the, the three characteristics. So just, I mean, what I've been trying to do here is just weave together and help us uh, realize how these are all tangled up together. <laughs> you know, this is all self-view, the hindrances, not seeing anicca, dukkha, and anatta, attachment, not realizing the consequences of uh, certain states, not being able to see that we're in states, this is all tied up together. And so I hope in in some way some of these thoughts are helpful for you in your practice tonight. Shall we sit for a minute?